Mandy Koltiska from Century 21 BHJ brings you this pet of the week from the dog and cat shelter. T-Rex is a two-year-old pit bull mastiff who would love nothing more than a nice warm bed, plenty of yard space, and someone to love him. Oh, and feed him. If you love food, T-Rex loves food too. Robin is an adorable kitty who's spunky and ready to create her own fun. She can be a little shy, but is very excited to share her good times with her new forever family. Come and meet Robin today. The following message presented by First Federal Bank and Trust, Sheridan's only mutual bank. Visit efirstfederal.bank. This is Jeff from Sheridan Fire Rescue, reminding you of the importance of having working smoke detectors in your home. Remember that if your smoke detectors are over 10 years old, they should be replaced. Also, remember to change the batteries in your smoke detectors every six months. If you need smoke detectors, you can call Sheridan Fire Rescue at 307-674-7244, and we will provide them at no cost to you. This is Public Pulse, your information and conversation program, brought to you by First Federal Bank and Trust. You can voice your opinion by calling 672-KROE. That's 672-5763. Now, your host for Public Pulse, Floyd Whitey. Good morning and welcome to Public Pulse. I am joined this morning by Sheridan Police Chief Travis Koltiska and Captain Tom Ringley. Good morning, gentlemen, and welcome back to the show. Now, uh, when we look at the new year, uh, I, I spoke to you a little bit about celebrations. I can't remember if I asked you uh, a question or not going into the new year. I think maybe I had asked you if uh, there was a habit or, or something that you wanted to do more. Like I talked about how I'm thinking about taking up sewing. Mm-hmm. So the other question that I've been asking folks, and because I get to see you guys twice this month, I want to ask you another one. Is there something you feel that you should throw out for the 2024 year? And this can be anything from a negative attitude about a subject to old T-shirts. <laughs> now, um, one of my pet peeves, is especially, I think it's one of our strengths now, is we don't get into a tizzy just because it's January 1st and come up with all these big, grand ideas. Um, we evaluate our... Um, our processes and our mission on a daily basis. So there's, and I, I kind of live my life like that too. Yeah. Um, it's, um, if I'm not going to wait to make an improvement or get rid of something. And this, I think, I think that's one of, uh, our, our strengths is, uh, chief Coltiska was sworn in is we want to improve every day. Um, just cause it's January 1st really doesn't mean anything. Um, more, more important to us is July 1st, which is the start of our budget year. Yeah. But not personally, I, I don't. It's, of all it's not the most economical way to live one's life. You throw things out metaphorically yeah. as we go through the year. Yeah, if I see something that I need to improve on, then I do it immediately. Chief? Same. I mean, it's like the old adage, how many New Year's resolutions really get adhered to? You know, <laughs> yeah. you can't do that in this line of work either. It's a continually evolving process. It's part of our mission is to uh, continually evolve. And so we, like the captain said, continually evaluating our, our services throughout the year. And that, um, on, Decep- on December 31st, we're evaluating, you know, so calendar years don't mean a lot to, to us as an organization um, because it's just a continual process. That's, that's what we have to do to, to provide the level of service that we need. Yeah. You know, uh, for me, it's getting rid of a loft bed. Uh, my daughter <laughs> begged for this loft bed and I've actually heard this from other parents. 
you buy the loft bed and the kids sleep on the floor underneath the loft bed. Sure enough, that's exactly what she did. She's been gone to college for a while now. It's time to tear that thing down and get it out of the house and just put a guest bed in that room. So I think that is a one big goal that I've got for this month. Now, we often talk about the hiring process out at the police department. Let's talk about what happens if someone is hired uh, and, and they're right off the street. Um, because that does happen, correct? Uh, someone can come in, they've got good character, you see mm-hmm. potential, uh, and you say, you know what, we'll train you. Absolutely, that that happens quite often. I'd say it's probably about 60-40, even 50-50 about, you know, experiencing that. But we understand that uh, individuals that don't have experience, um, I, I didn't start this line of work with any law enforcement experience. You know, everybody has to start somewhere. So we do set up that training in order from from any individual, regardless of experience level, can come into the organization and be trained up to the standard that's necessary. Um, it starts with uh, um, our in-house training. And with that in-house training, you know, we're talking um, firearms training, some defensive tactics, use of force. Um, but a lot of it's based off of our own processes, you know, our report writing, how we, um, our, our interactions with, with our community members. So it's a, it's a sh- and it really depends on your timing. So, like, we've hired individuals who we they, they had two weeks with the organization before they were slated to go to the academy. We've also had some that it takes a couple months. Okay. So it really kind of depends. But there's some what we call pre-FTO, which FTO is field training program or FTP, field training program. There's some pre-FT uh, field training that we get um, that, that all officers um, start with at that point. Yeah, it's, um, I think, in it. Our, our perfect scenario is that a, a a new officer will get one of the um, three training phases of FTO out of the way because it, before they go to the academy, because it, it does lend some context um, to what the academy is teaching. The, uh, the Peace Officer Basic course in Douglas is absolutely fantastic. Um, I went um, with without uh, completing any of the training phases, and it was a... It wasn't hard, but it would have been nice to have some context to, yeah. to know what they were talking about. Um, but e- e- either way, it, it's, it's a great program. Um, and there are pros and cons to, actually, there are different types of pros to hiring uh, someone with no experience um, as opposed to someone with um, some experience. Um, I, I like working with a blank um, slate, or sorry, blank canvas. Um, all they're going to know is what we teach them. Yeah. Um, we still run lateral hires through the entire training process because we don't know what they've learned at their other agency. Um, we, and, and everywhere is different. I can remember going into basic training uh, and we entered BRM, basic rifle marksmanship. And uh, that is a two week program in basic. You only focus on training with your, at the time it was the M16. And I can remember some of the frustration from some of the drill sergeants uh, during the shooting because a lot of these kids were using what we call Kentucky windage, things that they had taught out hunting and things like that, which I'm not saying is bad, but when you're training with a specific weapon, there's a specific way to get that done more efficiently. And a lot of these kids were trying to apply their hunting experience Mm -hmm. to this practice. And it was hard to get past. We call them training scars. 
um, because it's sometimes whether they haven't been shown the correct way or just a different way. Yeah. And it's hard to overcome that. Um, you know, firearms is a perfect example. A lot of, and def- custody control is what we just call it now defensive tactics. From when I went to the academy in 95 to what they teach now, oh, Lord, it's night and day different. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's substantially different from your control techniques to handcuffing. Uh, everything is just night. They, they, it's continually, we're continually evolving in this profession. Um, and so, yeah, you, I, like Captain said, you could sum me in with zero. I was a firearms instructor for 19 years. I often had better luck bringing somebody up to proficiency levels or higher if they had almost no experience with a firearm as opposed to having been taught or self-taught, which I was, um, and, and then, you know, trying to overcome some of those training scars to bring them up on a proficiency level. Same applies to our, you know, to every everyday training at the, at the organization. And so that's, but, but at the same time, you're hiring for character, you're hiring the right individuals. Um, those that we do bring on that are lateral, and we brought on a few laterals in recent years, that have been absolutely fantastic hires. They came here and and they provide, they presented all the skills and all the character traits necessary, and they were quick learns and quick studies, and they wanted to do things the way we do them here. And so that and and the advantage to that is when you bring somebody in with what we call lateral, some of his previous experience from another agency, we're not sending them to the academy for that 14 week period, which you know it gets them helps us get get them on the street and working in a quicker manner. And the, the benefit we have as opposed to trying to run a company of shaved-headed <laughs> privates um, through a firing line and to teach them a skill is that the ratio of instructor to, to students probably about 1 to 10, 1 to 15. Yeah. Ours is, for firearms, it's especially with our pre-training, it's 1 to 1. Nice. Um, and for custody control, it's often 2 to 1. Um, so we can really... It, 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 our training doesn't take that long because it, it's intensive. It's eight hours. They have one-to-one training um, that it's tailored specifically to an individual student um, as opposed to a hundred privates or two, however big a company is these days in basic training. Um, so it doesn't take as long. And it, even at the, at, at the Academy, a, a firing line is probably, what is it? 15. Uh, um, and there's, there's often four, four to five instructors um, for a firing line of 15. So they can still, um, you're getting a one to two, maybe one to three ratio. So it's a lot more intensive. Um, it just because of the 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 student the instructor ratio, it, it's actually a, a lot better here. But just because you're not trying to mass produce, yeah, um, someone that can e- even um, get get three rounds within an inch of each other with an M16. You're um, you're always waiting on the someone. With with us, it's a lot faster. It's a lot better, and quite honestly, the, the firearms instructor training is a lot higher here. Um, I've instructed firearms in, in the army with no training. Here, yeah. here they are trained, um, and it's a very very good training program that requires uh, recertification every two years, so everyone's up to date. And there have been some major changes taught um, specifically um, in the um, in even how to hold a handgun. Um, it's, the, the, the grips changed several times um, over the 20 plus years we've both been here, and it's been a huge improvements each time. Well, we've had complete changes of platforms. When yep. Captain and I both went to the academy, we carried shotguns, with, and we qualified with shotguns lethal. They don't do that at the academy anymore. Now it's patrol rifles. That's oh. become the primary, uh, you know, uh, firearm for um, any kind of extended range. 
And when they cut, when you say patrol rifle, are we talking M4? Kind of that platform uh, variant that we're using, AR, like that. AR-15 yeah. variant of that. Uh, different agencies have different things, um, but yeah, we're, we're talking yeah, about a stark contrast. Usually, there. a two-two-three caliber rifle of some sort. So, now, being as it, when you gentlemen began, uh, and <laughs> I'm not trying to imply anything, but as long world. ago as you did, world uh, <laughs> was it revolvers? No, still we did miss that. But <laughs> the, the, the firearm that we did start with here, well, we still had one. I got here and I got us to the Glocks, but. Uh, um, was probably the closest semi-auto to a revolver. Um, it was specifically picked by the police department back in, what had it been, about 90? Probably about 96. Yeah, 96, 97, because yeah. it, they, they just transitioned to the revolver right prior to that, um, right right prior to the captain and I getting here. And But they transitioned to a platform that had a very similar trigger pull to a revolver, so mm. they thought it was going to be an easier transition. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can but, remember. But there were people carrying revolvers when I went through the academy. Really? Yeah. So that was still a thing. There was a one. <laughs> do you get a choice? Uh, not here. Nope. You're an issued duty weapon here. Some agencies do, yes. Oh, but some, okay. So if you're more proficient with this firearm, then we're going to go ahead and allow you well, to... Well, for us, we uh, the Sheridan Police Department owns all the firearms. They are issued to officers as they are hired here. You have one platform, so every officer carries the exact same setup. In a handgun and the exact same setup in a rifle. So that if there was a need, an officer had to utilize another platform, had to utilize another officer's weapon, if it was a you know, worst-case scenario, right, um, they're, they're familiar with it, and they're not trying to figure out a, a manual safety versus a different type of sight system. So that's why we want to be very consistent in our, in our in, with what we, all of us carry. Yeah. Say, even, go, even down to the holster. Yeah, and we can, oh, wow. we can yeah. create magazines where we carry extra uh, ammunition in our cars. It's the same ammunition, um, so we don't have to go find 40. We, and we, I think we've discussed our trans, transition to 9mm on the handguns. We don't have to go find 40 or 45 or 10mm. Yep. Um, it, it's all 9mm, and it's, it's all the same. So if, I, if someone needs a magazine and I'm still good on ammo, I can just... You can share, and, share ammo, yeah. There are agencies that allow their officers to carry their own choice, and I'm sure within specifications. But for us, this is what works for us. This is what we've chosen to do. And in my opinion, I think that's the best way to do it, probably because of former military experience. Yep. Uh, you know, hey, throw me a magazine, boom. I, I know what I'm doing. Or if I've got to pick up the weapon of my buddy next to me, I know I already know what mm -hmm. I'm doing. So uh, it, it is... Uh, Practical. Yeah, that's why uh, NATO is generally five five six and seven six two. Yep, exactly. But, uh, uh, between countries, even now, when it comes to the atmosphere at the academy, is this like a basic training? I mean, is You're it that's somebody that went to basic, not me? Um, no, <laughs> I mean, we did have to pick our shoes up so the maids could vacuum. Um, so sorry, the housekeeping staff could vacuum in Douglas, and it's um. Law, law enforcement, in my opinion, doesn't need a crucible-type atmosphere. Right. It, it, it's, right. A, it's a learning atmosphere. Yes. Um, a, a lot of states, it's shaved heads and um, drill sergeants, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's somewhat like it's, more it's, militaristic. Yeah, a lot of them don't look like they've ever been in a drill sergeant. Um, it's, a, it's a learning atmosphere. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's, it's still it, structured. Yeah. Uh, they still do stuff like, uh, you know, they do formation runs and stuff like yeah. that for their PT so there's a, like, I guess some people may look at it and think that it would resemble that, but no, I, I, the, the atmosphere or the mentality, the mindset is not basic mindset. It's like what the captain said. It's, they're there to teach officers, to be, uh, teach 
individuals to become proficient peace officers. And that it's really, it is, I guess that that's the best way I've heard it explained. It's a they, learning. They do a great job of deferring to the, the, the home agency for exactly how to do things. Yeah. Um, they're, they're teaching the book stuff and a, a lot of great scenario, very uh, basic scenarios too. Um, I got, I really can't say enough about it. And I've like, a, I've never been to another state's uh, academy or another agency's academy, but I've, I've obviously researched them as we keep up on industry trends. And I, I think ours is what, what would work for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't need someone who I could probably outperform yelling me just to yell at me. Um, just because uh, quote unquote, it's their job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, um, it's a very healthy environment down there. Well, that's fantastic to hear. And, and, and I like environments like that. Uh, the only thing I can really compare it with is probably PLDC. A, a lot of learning classroom time yes. and, and not so militaristic because you're already a soldier. Yeah. So I don't need to do that. that, that that's a good analogy. All right. On that, I got to take a quick commercial break. Uh, we're speaking with the Sheridan Police Department. More. Stick with us. You're listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Sheridan. First Federal Bank and Trust presents the return of Dining for a Cause at Smith Alley Brewing on Monday, January 22nd from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Our goal is to support local restaurants and nonprofits. On January 22nd, help us support the incredible work of the Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. First Federal will match the restaurant's proceeds from that day up to $10,000. Dining for a Cause, Monday, January 22nd at Smith Alley Brewing, with proceeds benefiting Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. Dining for a Cause, presented by First Federal Bank and Trust. Man, I just heard your car crying in the parking lot. It really needs an oil change. I know you've been putting it off because of the cost, but here's a deal you can't pass up. Through January at Midas, buy an oil change, get a second one free to use by March. It's perfect to share with a family member. And Midas also gives your car a thorough inspection to identify any current problems and to help plan for any upcoming repairs. Helping your car care dollars go farther will keep you safely on the road. See Midas Tire and Auto in Sheridan. Sheridan Media's digital director, Julie Chadwick, has been named one of the top 20 digital directors in the country by Radio Inc. Magazine. But what does that mean for our advertisers? It means we have a digital division that's one of the best in the country right here in Sheridan. If you're looking to expand your digital budget or ready to make a change, let's talk about moving the needle with your marketing. Absolutely. Our plans are designed for small or large companies tailored to your goals and objectives. We can do short-term, long-term, even event marketing, and we can pivot if we aren't seeing the results. The best approach is always multimedia, but let's see what fits your budget. We're not about numbers, we're about results. Your success is our priority. Give us an opportunity to show you how we've become one of the top 20 in the country. Call Sheridan Media. Let's chat about how we can tailor a marketing strategy that includes digital and helps you reach your business goals. Email sales at sheridanmedia.com or call 672-7421. Welcome back to Public Pulse. I'm Floyd Whiting in the sporting. I'm speaking with the Sheridan Police Chief, Travis Koltiska, and Captain of the Force, Tom Ringley. In the first part of the show this morning, we discussed Wyoming Peace Officer Basic Course, the type of training, 
and expectations. If you're interested in one day becoming a Wyoming law enforcement officer, I suggest you give that a quick listen, kind of get a general base. You can find this show its entirety later today on SheridanMedia.com under the Public Pulse tab. Now, the SPD hires heavily based on character. I tend to agree with William Blackstone, who said, and I'm summarizing here, that the law holds that it is better that 10 guilty persons escape than one innocent person suffer and be convicted. Training does not stop once one graduates from the academy. Training is an ongoing thing, especially here at the SPD. Uh, Chief practices, uh, as we were talking about in the first part, procedures, these things change all the time. Laws change continually. Um, Interpretations of laws you know, the, the judgments and the, the decisions that come out of the different court systems. So there's, we are on a, a on a continually lear, continual learning um, process through our entire career. Um, part of that is built into require, I mean, we're required to maintain a certain level of training hours per calendar year for each level of certification we receive. So like when you go to the academy and it's 600 and some hours of, of training at, at Douglas, uh, 14 weeks um, after you've graduated there um, you have two years to you you, you come out of there with a basic cert, peace officer certification uh, you have two years to obtain your advanced peace officer certification and that two years at, it also requires 80 more hours of instruction police instruction at that point you then have another two years to obtain your professional police officer certificate peace officer oh, wow. certification which requires an additional 40 hours of of training. Now, those are minimums. We don't believe in minimums here. Um, our training budget, our, our city council and our mayor our, and our city administrator are absolutely supportive of our mission to train our officers accordingly. We have a, a very robust training budget that allows us to, to provide a substantial amount of training to our department members. Um, we, we, you know, Training is, is key in my view, view that we want um, officers who are well-rounded in different in every aspect of law enforcement, and you can you can only get that in some ways through training and and to be up to date and abreast of current situations and rather that's tactics, rather that's procedures, rather that's laws, that's critical in our line of work. And I would think that that's somewhat difficult. Um... Well, it may be challenging. As laws change, all of your officers have got to know the law, um, and and that can be a bit of a, a challenge, a hurdle. It can be. There's a lot of resources out there. Um, the state's partnered with a um, a law group out of, ironically, out of Connecticut, but it's Daigle Law Group, a former law enforcement officer, an attorney, a group of attorneys who we're contract with. They could, they review any legal changes in the state of Wyoming, and they provide updates to all all agencies in the state of Wyoming. So there's resources out there. It's a little easier now than it used to be. Um, we have all kinds of different notification systems that we um, we subscribe to when any, any kind of rulings come out of any court levels that directly impact how we are going to um, function and operate as an entity. So yeah, it, it is. it can be challenging, but there's tools. Captain, we let the courts decide certain things but as if I was a new peace officer here in the state of Wyoming, and I've got to keep up on these laws, I mean, understanding criminal law, being able to see and know 
that a crime is being committed in front of me, uh, even if it's something very small, has got to be, um, again, somewhat challenging to be able to do that as an officer. Because if if an officer walks up to me and says, what you just did was illegal, instantly, I because I trust my police force, I'm like, well, they know. So you're borderline lawyers. Well, and one thing I like to say, and bear in mind, if if you've ever been to court, attorneys aren't walking in there empty-handed. Yeah, They're walking in with statute books because they're subject matter experts. They have doctors, but they still refer to law law books. Um, We need to recognize that a crime has occurred and what nature of crime. Um, The more serious the crime, like a homicide, the, the, the easier it is to tell that a crime occurred. Yeah. Um, and time isn't necessarily on our side. On the flip side, with the white collar type crimes, we have more time to really research whether or not a, a crime occurred and what, what the exact crime crime is and, and everything in between. But there, there are crimes against people and crimes against property that we deal with on the street in air quotes. Um, those are easily recognizable as crimes. Now, the the exact crime may change. Um, the uh, Chapter 6, uh, Section 2 has been split up a little bit over the years from um, it was uh, assault or battery um, or domestic violence. And that's, we ha- over the years have added um, unlawful contact, which is kind of a lesser, yeah. a, a, a lesser um, severity than, than a battery or domestic violence. But if you go to a house and you see that one person's hit another, you know a crime's occurred, and it's going to fall under six two five zero one something. Um, this is exactly where, which is in the fine print and, and the subsections. Um, but but our 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 officers are trained to to recognize um, crime. It's kind of like the mental health stuff. We're trained to realize there's a mental health issue. We're not trained exactly diagnose to it. Di- diagnose it. Ah, yes. Um, okay. So so we know that something happened at a scene. The scene needs to be made safe. And it needs generally needs to be made safe because a crime occurred. And we um, have great teamwork. This is one of the reasons we have sergeants and corporals on a team. They've got more experience, and they've uh, also have displayed that they have the knowledge um, just to supervise an investigation. Um, it's one of the changes in um, our field training officer program is we're focusing on the spectrum of crimes that an officer in their first three years would encounter. We, we don't train, we don't, we put more stress on domestic violence than we do a homicide. Yeah. We have people such as detectives to investigate a homicide. They wreck it, but they are trained on what to do when they get the homicide scene, which is scene security and evidence preservation and scene safety. Um, but they don't need to know the special techniques for the interviews yeah. um, or for which tests to, to ask for or even who to call because that's what detectives are for. So that, that's one of the big changes we've made in, in, in the program is we're teaching people to be first years one, two, and three cops, not a year 20 detective. Yeah, because that will be taught to you once you reach that yes, point. Yes, through specialized training that we send people out for. Now, I know I'm getting off on the weeds a little bit here, and I don't have a lot of time left, but I am curious about something. My wife's been watching a lot of Law & Order. Now that we, that is all true, <laughs> that and CSI. Our MythBusters is back. <laughs> we're we're always trying to uh, dispel these kinds of myths, but I've noticed it within Hollywood realm, the DA works so closely with 
officers in that room. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, is it kind of like that in real life? Do you yeah. do you see our prosecutor coming in a lot, discussing with you, this was done, I can charge them with this, this is how we should handle that? There, There's communication back and forth between ourselves and our prosecutors regularly. Um, that's necessary for a proper prosecution and investigation in the case. We've got to have that open dialogue. Um, and, if, you know, if there's additional information that they require, um, you know, they, they're going to ask for it. We're going to do what we can to provide that information to the prosecutor to help solidify that case even more. So, yeah, we, we do have a lot of communication with our prosecutor's office just to, to provide the most information and the best information that we can, um, everything that we that we have at our disposal, to provide them as a resource to them when it comes to the prosecution. So, Even with all that training, um, are, are, are there times when our officers look at our prosecutor and say, hey, you know, what really occurred here? It, was this a crime? Uh, that kind of discussion? That, that, Did they lean also, on her? Um, our, our standard for an arrest is probable cause. But a, a, the prosecutors, one explained to me once, they are, they are morally obligated to only pursue prosecutions that they can uh, expect to be successful. Yeah. Um, they don't want to, their resource, they probably need more is time and people. Um, yeah. So they, they, they have to triage what, what they really go after. And I, I think um, our prosecutor's office is extremely conscientious. Yeah. Um, apparently I'm not allowed to use the word aggressive, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an old joke. Um, but like everyone else, they've got limited time and resources. The court only has lim- limited docket space. Yeah. Um, so we need to provide them the best product um, as, from a, a customer service standpoint to give them what they need. If that this for a successful prosecution that they feel that um, that they can be successful in instead of just going in there and hoping for the best. And Captain, I'm really glad you brought that up because it, it is difficult in there trying to decide. I'm sure, and not, not that I've ever sat in that seat, yeah. but I've got to do this over this because I only have so much. Our, time our, our stance is we send out the best product and give them everything they need. Everything after that is their decision, not ours. They we don't know their job any more than they, they really know ours. Yeah. Captain, Chief, thank you both so much for coming in and having such a great conversation about this and answering my questions. I greatly uh, appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. It. Thanks, Floyd. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we're going to speak with the mayor of Buffalo. Stay with us. This is Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Shared. First Federal Bank and Trust presents the return of Dining for a Cause at Smith Alley Brewing on Monday, January 22nd from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Our goal is to support local restaurants and nonprofits. On January 22nd, help us support the incredible work of the Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. First Federal will match the restaurant's proceeds from that day up to $10,000. Dining for a Cause, Monday, January 22nd at Smith Alley Brewing, with proceeds benefiting Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. Dining for a Cause, presented by First Federal Bank and Trust. Slick roads are here, so let's get some new tires on your vehicle from wearing Sheridan Chevrolet. With the recent weather, you probably figured out your vehicle might need some new tires. Get it down and let the service professionals at Waring Chevrolet take a look. They carry all the brand names and tires. If you provide them with a better price at the time of purchase, they'll match it. You don't have to wait for a tire sale. They have the best prices guaranteed every day. Let's get you safely down the road. Waring Sheridan Chevrolet, 107 East Alger, online, waringsheridan.com. 
After the busy holidays have passed, don't forget those loved ones in January. Legacy Diamond and Gems has a large selection of garnet, January's birthstone, in rings, pendants, earrings, and bracelets. Beautiful garnets from Montana, Brazil, Africa, and other locations throughout the world. Come into Legacy Diamond and Gems for the finest quality jewelry at an exceptional value. 11 North Main Street in downtown Sheridan. Wake up and smell the coffee lovers. McDonald's in Sheridan Buffalo and Gillette are bringing back the McCafe menu magic. Delightful espresso drinks and coffees. Whether you crave the warmth of a hot cappuccino or caramel cappuccino, mochas, lattes, iced coffees, and more, you can order your McCafe coffee right from the McDonald's app using mobile order and pay for a quick pickup. Your mornings just got a whole lot better with McDonald's McCafe because, hey, good day start with a great cup of coffee. It's back. They say you never know which direction a pickle's going to squirt. And that's just like the gamble you take heading out somewhere on your 4 side-by-side, or snowmobile without it being serviced, tuned up, or repaired. Otherwise, you're just taking the chance of that machine not getting you back home again. Let Hando Service Center keep you from spending the night hiking out to where you actually have cell service. Yeah, you may not need them today, but one day you will. So remember, Hando Service Center on Sheridan's Heartland Drive. Fox Sports Radio is back in Sheridan all day long, every single day. Tune into the best sports lineup in the nation every single day on Sheridan Media's 106.3 FM. The best sporting lineup in the nation all day, every day, 24-7. Sheridan Media's 106.3 FM and online at SheridanMedia.com. We are Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, proudly brought to you by our friends out there at First Federal Bank and Trust. I'm Floyd Whiting. For a second part this morning, I am joined by the mayor of Buffalo, Mr. Shane Schrader. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Hey, how you doing, Floyd? I'm doing Staying fantastic. I, I actually am. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those lucky guys. I've got a job on the inside. I always uh, I was driving to work, I think it was two days ago. And felt sorry for all the folks that uh, got to go out there on all these uh, ranches and farms out there. Uh, I grew up that way, so I know it is cold on the back of that sled while you're feeding. Yes. Well, I thank the ranchers and farmers. My steak was delicious, and thank you for that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sir, did you have a good Christmas? I did. It was good. Spent some time with some family, and, you know, everybody kind of got what they wanted, and family time and a good meal was that's what it's all about. Now, Family and friends. Buffalo Police Chief Sean Bissett reported a pretty quiet New Year over there. How was your New Year, sir? My New Year's was good. I was on call, so it was it was what it was, but it was good. And, you know, we had a good time and watched, you know, we had some fireworks around town and enjoyed the evening. And, you know, at, at my, you know, years, I was probably didn't see the ball drop. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I've spoken to a lot of folks who didn't. Now, uh, I've been asking a lot of folks one question, uh, one or the other. The question I'm going to ask you this year is, what is one thing you should throw out? Well, Floyd, you know me well enough. I might be a little passive-aggressive. So I think I need to work on my passive-aggressiveness a little bit. I don't know if I want to totally throw it out, but I definitely need to work on it a little. 
there you go. That's that's a great great thing for all of us to work on, sir. I think that's a fantastic answer. Now, another issue that has come up recently. There's been a lot of talk regarding attainable housing there in Buffalo. What does the situation look like? Well, you know, I think it's a statewide thing. You know, uh, you know, our our representative from you know, House District 40, you know, uh, Mr. Crago was in council last night, kind of giving us an update before they head off for budget session. And, you know, that's kind of a topic there as well. So, um, you know, the city, we're working together with the, with the county and the commissioners. Uh, there's a group that's been put together. It's got a commissioner. It's got a council member. It's got a representative of planning and zoning and some, some you know, folks at large. And, they're working hard, and, you know, Mr. Spearing has really, you know, built a passion around this, so it's moving forward down here. And I can I can completely understand folks wanting to come up here and retire, uh, even though I've spent, you know, the majority of my life, uh, I'm, I'm at the point now I could almost say all of it, mm-hmm. here in the state of Wyoming, I, this is where I would like to spend my, my golden years. But we also need to have that space. For our blue-collar workers, our salt-of-the-earth folks, we can't lose that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, as we go forward. I mean, really, this is—we're the ones that built this this state the way that it is, and and we have to have something uh, in exactly. place somewhere so that we can gain yeah. that housing. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've—I shouldn't say we—Councilwoman uh, Camino has really studied. Uh, you know, the studies from Gillette and Sheridan and, you know, our neighboring towns and, you know, we're kind of in the middle here. So, you know, how do we tweak that? And she's working on some plans that, you know, will go before planning and zoning and see where, see where those ideas can go. And, you know, there's just a lot of different options out there. It's just a matter of trying to find what works the best and makes, makes the housing that can be built attainable. Yeah. Yeah. So, has the population of Buffalo incre- increased dramatically over the last few years, or is it really just causing costs? I, you know, I wouldn't say it's increased dramatically. Um, you know, the last census showed we did, we did grow um, a little bit, not huge, uh, not not a boom town, but you know there is the you know you you make a good point there is the cost factor in in housing in buffalo and you know the the 50 million dollar question is how do you fix that that's yeah, yeah i think up and you know you know and it's it's looking at everything from contractors to ordinances to infrastructure to to the whole the whole shebang is is what it's going to take to to roll in and come up with that that one good answer and you know maybe there's not one good answer um that's as as i've watched Mm -hmm. committees talk over this and councils speak about it um a lot of great ideas have been proposed uh and like you said sir you know there's a scale that we need to keep balanced uh as we go about this Mm -hmm. and we don't want to you know, put one or invest money into something that's not going to work or shake our heads at 10 years down the line. But speaking of construction, you've got a pretty good size project coming up. Can you tell me a little bit about the water meter project? Yeah, so we were lucky enough to 
to get a grant. Um, and so it will be replacing every single water meter that's on the city of Buffalo water system. And, you know, it's, it's a good product. Um, it's been researched and so it'll all be electronic and Bluetooth and all the goodies. And, you know, the ladies down at city hall and administration will be able to pull up your, your water meter, you know, boom, right there it is up to date every day. It'll show, you know, it's got red flags. If there's, there's a large, huge consumption of water and, you know, the company that was chosen, they're going to start rolling that out. Um, they will be properly identified. They'll be in marked vehicles. They'll be, you know, uniformed people. So just to let people know that those folks will be coming around um, as soon as weather permitting, probably, you know, this spring and all the water meters are going to be replaced. It also um, brings us into um, compliance with federal regulations on identifying lead pipes and copper pipes and oh, wow. all the sort of fun stuff that the federal government throws at you on a daily basis. So we'll be in compliance with that. Plus, on top of that, um, the city put in a new GIS system, and all of those meters will be put into that GIS system so they're easily located, and you can go on the computer, and the public works folks can pull it up on their phones, and boom, there it is. And, you know, there's over the years, there's been different types of water meters here and different types of water meters there, and so everything's going to be uniform and nice, and it's just going to be a lot simpler product. and a lot better for the consumer and the city. That's actually, that's very incredible. Uh, you, I was having a conversation regarding smart cities, um, cities that basically can talk to the departments. If, if I have a leak, I can send that information directly to the water department and utilities, uh, things like that. This sounds very similar to what we were discussing on the other show um, about that, a, a city being able to basically talk to the departments and say, hey, there's something strange going on with this water meter. So if if yep. there was a break and all of a sudden gallons and gallons of water were everywhere, the city would be able to detect that with the push of a few yeah. buttons. Yes, and, you know, and I'm just going to throw random numbers out there. So say you average 100 gallons a day at your, at your house, Floyd, and all of a sudden, overnight, it's showing that 200 gallons got used in a certain amount of, you know, time frame. That can trigger it. That'll throw a red flag. It'll pop up on the computer, and they can let, you know, the water commissioner know, and they can go out and research why all of a sudden you doubled your average use in a matter of a short time. Now I imagine which saves go ahead water sir. conservation plus your water bill conservation. So absolutely. So it, mm-hmm. this this will be able to make billing a, a much easier process as opposed to having to send somebody out there with a the old image of the gentleman walking around reading the numbers off of your meter with a clipboard. Yep. Exactly. It just downloads and it's all right there for Stacy and. You know, accounts billable, and boom, it's done. And if you're if you're a landlord and your renter moves out on the fifteenth, boom, there it is. Yeah. Now, if uh, has has Mr. Silbernagel been able to tell you if if a line breaks in the street, 
somehow will the water meters be able to detect, hey, we, we're not getting enough water or we don't have the pressure? I mean, can they, do, can they go I, that far? I am not sure if this particular water meter does, and I don't want to give you false information, but that's a very good question. You know, if, if the water pressure drops, I know that, you know, usually in Buffalo, it kind of bubbles up to the street and we see it right away. Um, but that's a good question. If they will detect in a certain area, if water pressure drops. Yeah. And be able to identify a, a possible problem now or a future problem and jump on it mm-hmm. before it becomes a more costly issue down the line. Yeah, that's a good question. I'll have to follow up with with Kevin on that one. Uh, sir, how how is the city prepared for the upcoming Main Street resurfacing project? This Will this be kicking off this coming spring? Uh, yes, it will, you know, this construction season, I'll call it. Um, and it's YDOT, so things are subject to change. But we have another meeting with YDOT, public meeting, I do believe, on the 2nd of February. Um, Hopefully I can get in and get a lunch with uh, Commissioner Shelley today, and we're going to meet Commissioner Shelley, uh, Chairman of the Tourism Board, Claudia from JOCO First, and one of the business owners down on Main Street, we're hoping to sit down and start coming up with uh, alternative parking plans, um, identify possible parking places for residents, customers, tourists, um, and work on a plan moving forward on how we can get that out, get the maps out so that everybody knows you know, where, where the parking is during this time. I would probably lean towards this maybe a two-year project versus a one-year project. Um, just because there's going to be some infrastructure work under under Main Street. You know, they're replacing the big culvert down at the south end of Main Street, down by Cemetery Road, the old Moose Lodge. And so there's going to be a couple of other kerfuffles in it that that will make it work. Well, that's pretty fascinating because, I mean, you've got to take so many measures uh, into consideration when you're looking at a, a project this big, I know the city of Sheridan over here, they've been dealing with the issue for a year. Uh, uh, I was speaking with city administrator Stu McRae and Mayor Rich Bridger just the other day. They were very happy with how that came about and the cooperation between businesses, Chamber of Commerce, the city, and YDOT, I think really kept uh, a, a lot of heads above water. I don't know enough to say every head, but uh, I think it yep. really helped out a lot of individuals to include uh, projects like Sage Community Arts, our mm-hmm. community arts organization here, putting paintings up on the street blockers, uh, the screens, and kind of turning downtown into its own little art gallery. Ideas like that and, seem to really work. Yep. And that's part of what happened here. You know, last year we redid all the alleys, so there's access to to the downtown businesses behind. Uh, there's a group that's going through and, you know, repainting the doors, you know, so that people are easily identifiable and they're doing it all artsy. And so people are excited, apprehensive, but excited about what's coming, and it's going to be great. Uh, sir, do you know, uh, are they going to be replacing the surface with a concrete or are they going to go with asphalt because of the I, the scope of that 
I do believe it's asphalt that they're going with, just because it's from interstate to interstate. So, you know, they'll start out by the high school. Is my understanding, they'll start out by the high school, work up to I-90 on North Main, and then at the same time, the same contractors are going to move, you know, to my understanding, from that from that project, then they're going to be going back and redoing the bypass roads, you know, past Buckingham Lumber and Senex and the squeaky clean car wash and past County Fire and all through there. Now, there was a lot of work uh, that you were telling us about, like the alleys and things like that. I know a lot of people over here do a lot of business over there. As we go over uh, to Buffalo to conduct our business, do you know about... I mean, have they given you any kind of time frame when they're going to hit Main Street? Or have they left that pretty gray, just to be safe? That's kind of a gray area. Again, we're, we're having another public meeting with, with the YDOT representatives. Uh, I do believe it's the first part of February. It's either the 2nd or the 6th. Like Some days run into each other. But, you know, it'll be public and it'll be advertised when that meeting's going to be. Two minutes. How how involved has uh, the Buffalo Chamber of Commerce been? I know uh, the one over here in Sheridan, very involved in this entire process. They were really kind of one of my main sources to get information from uh, mm-hmm. regarding businesses and how that's going. You have a new president, so uh, is she kind of yes. diving right in? Yes, uh, she just gave an update at city council last night, and, you know, they got some new board members, um, you know, they're, they're refocusing, regrouping. And I think that they're going to be pretty, a pretty important part of, of communication moving forward on, on the main street project. So let this new board get, get some footing. And I, I think they got some wonderful things planned from the way it sounds last night. And, you know, they're again, refoc- refocusing and regrouping and, and taking charge. You know, when it comes to parking, uh, I myself, whenever I, I head on downtown, I park right behind Crazy Woman Square. Uh, that seems mm-hmm. to be one of the best places to park there in Buffalo. But, you know, for us uh, as a community, I think that's big enough. But uh, if if we're not able to park on the street, we I agree with you, sir. We're certainly going to have to find some alternatives to mm-hmm. that. Uh, I want to thank you so much for calling in this morning, Mr. Mayor. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And I look forward to speaking with you more as this project develops next year. Or this year, excuse me. Yeah, this year. Take a picture of my hair now. It's gray now. We'll see if it turns (laughs) white by the end of this project. That's Uh, right. But it's going to be good. And, uh, you know, at the end of it, it's going to be a good product. And it's just going to make Buffalo a little bit better than we already are. So, Thank you very much, sir. You've been listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE. And 103.9 FM. Share. Have you ever wondered what makes First Federal Bank and Trust unique? We're a mutual bank, which means our focus is on you. Unlike other banks, we don't pay shareholders. We pay our community. At First Federal Bank and Trust, your financial interests drive our decisions. Bank with us and experience the mutual bank difference, where the power of community fuels your financial success. First Federal Bank and Trust is Sheridan's only mutual bank. Member FDIC.
I'm here today with Candace Crane from Sheridan Honda and Power Sports. Tommy, hi. Happy New Year. Yeah, new Year, new me. New Year, but same team at Sheridan Honda and Power Sports. Did you know that our average employee tenure is 10 years? There's been a lot of changes in town. What you can count on with us are the same faces that live and work in our community. Well, who's worked the longest? Ken Weber has been here for 45 years. If you haven't been in to visit him or the team lately, come say hi and enter to win our monthly giveaway of $500 in Chamber Bucks so we can keep our shopping local. Stop in to Sheridan Honda and Power Sports today. The Wild Performing Arts and Education Center hosts one of the most iconic 90s animated series, Animaniacs, in concert Friday, January 26th at 7 p.m. The trio of Randy Rogel, Rob Paulson, and Maurice LaMarche will perform the world-famous songs from the beloved cartoon series backed by the original projected animation. The show is hip and funny for adults, but kids will love it as well. Tickets are available now at the Wild Box Office or online at wildtheater.com. If you're a Sheridan City resident, now's the time to sign up to receive critical emergency alerts from the city on your cell phone. Get information on severe weather, snow removal parking requirements, service outages, and more. The city's goal is for every city resident to sign up and receive these time-sensitive notifications, and now's the best time to do it. For more information and to sign up, scan the QR code in this week's Country Bounty or click the link on SheridanMedia.com. This public service message is presented by BHJ Property Management at 101 South Main. Hi, this is Janet with AARP Tax Aid, reminding you tax season is here. If you need assistance with preparation, please call the hub at 672-2240. Our certified team will prepare your taxes on Tuesday or Thursday, and it's free. That number, once again, 672-2240. Hope to see you. You said I do. Now you need to visit and enter the new Sheridan Media Bridal Preview Sweepstakes on the contest page at SheridanMedia.com. Not only will you find vendors to help make your wedding day even more special, you can register to win over $1,100 worth of prizes. This year's vendors include Once Upon a Story Boutique, Legacy Diamond and Gems, Sheridan County Fairgrounds, Mirror Mirror Salon and Day Spa, 